Hello everybody and welcome to Second City Church. My name is Cole Parlier. I'm associate pastor here at the church, if we haven't met before, and uh, lead pastor Rylan Fisher, uh, who you met last week online, who started our new series going in this Advent season called Majesty. So I'm here today to share with you Majesty Part 2, but before we do that, let's look at what Pastor Rylan was talking about last week. And so last week, Pastor Rylan preached Majesty Part 1, and this was his focus statement. He said, we will come to put our trust fully in God when we see that his majesty revealed was both predicted in the scripture and fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And so in essence, what he's saying is our hope and our faith is not blind faith. It is set in a thousand years of prophecy that was impossible without God himself orchestrating it in this one life, and that life is Jesus Christ, who declared was declared in power to be the Son of God and the Savior of the world for all of those who will place their trust in him. And so today we're going to continue, and we're going to go a little bit deeper, because Pastor Rollins shared those overarching prophetic words so that we would have uh, as Pastor Ron said, the URL address to specifically know what to look for, and that points to Jesus. So now we're going to look at Luke chapter 1 and the, um, where the intersection is of God's prophetic fulfillment actually coming into play and how that affected the very lives of the people as they partnered with Him as that came to. And so uh, today for Majesty Part 2, our focus statement that I want you to take home with you is this. When we see God's humility in Jesus Christ as His majestic love for humanity, we will be healed. Again, when we see God's humility in Jesus Christ as His majestic love for humanity, we will be healed. And we're going to talk about it in three sections. first one is hidden majesty. The second one is majestic partnerships. And then the third one is majesty incarnate. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for you. Without you, there is no life for all things were created by you, through you, and for you. And so today we ask that you would open our hearts, enlighten the eyes of our hearts and our minds to see you as you are, though you condescend so that we can be with you. Uh, Lord, thank you for helping us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, well, part one is hidden majesty. And our bullet point statement is God's majesty is hidden in humility. God's majesty is hidden in humility when he comes to us as Jesus. And so uh, I like, I like uh, words, the Greek and the Hebrew, that help bring some understanding to this. And so... <clears throat> The word in Greek for majesty is megalosun. I don't know if I'm saying that right. All you Greek scholars can correct me. Uh, but in essence, it means divine majesty, greatness, and megos, which is where we get our word mega. So in essence, uh, God's majesty is huge and all-consuming. I mean, he is the creator of all things, right? And for him and by him, all things have their existence. And so that's pretty all-consuming. And so another word I think would be awe. Right? We would be in awe when we think of the majesty of God. And then we've got the, uh, the Hebrew uh, word, the root word that is translated majesty, and that is gah, G-A-A-H, to rise up or redemption, right? And uh, swelling. And so what is so beautiful is that 
as the majesty of God swells and grows, he redeems us, rising us up to be where he is. So he comes down to get us, and his majesty is what brings us up. And so with those two together, I came up with this uh, uh, definition for Advent in light of God's majesty. So here we go. The Advent is the seed of God's majesty. This gospel in seed form will continue to swell and grow, bringing eternal redemption to those who receive it by faith. As Pastor Ron said last week, one of those prophetic um, uh, fulfillments was that the Messiah would be the seed of Abraham. And what do seeds do? Seeds grow. And so as Jesus came born of a virgin, right, that seed was the humility of God, His majesty being planted that would grow and raise us up to be with Him. I don't know about you, but that makes me so excited and so feel so loved that God would do that. And so we're also going to see how God partners with the humble to bring His majesty to the world, and He heals uh, those that He partners with in the process. And now what we see here is if God takes His majesty, condescends, plants it as a seed, we could very clearly call this the love of God that the majesty would humble himself and come to us. And honestly, and even logically, this is the only way that God's beloved, which is you and I, right, his creation, that we can know his majestic and redeeming love for us, is that if he came himself and showed it to us, because we can never make it up to him for he's holy and he's set apart, which is a good thing. Uh, We cannot ascend to him. He must descend to us in order to raise us up to be with him. And actually, while we're talking about love, only God, only a majestic God who has to condescend can give us true love. And the reason that is, is because we need love. Only God can give it purely because he has no needs he is trying to fill. That's part of his majesty. He's the uncreated one. All things exist by him and for him. He has no needs. So he can love us And not need anything in return, right? But his love is so perfect that it will require a response for us either to receive it or reject it. There is no middle ground. And so that's one of the things that we're going to talk about in the gospel. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Short definition of love. You hear it a lot at weddings, but we're talking about it at the Advent because this majestic God has condescended to show us his love. It says that love is patient and kind. It says, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is our majestic God who humbles himself to love us that way. He comes to us, and we're so thankful for that. So point number two is majestic partnerships. And now the, uh, the takeaway uh, for this section is the majestic God partners with the humble to bring his majesty to the world. And he heals those he partners with in the process. I'll say it one more time. The majestic God partners with the humble to bring his majesty to the world. He heals those he partners with in the process. So what we're going to do is we're going to read Luke 1, 5-25, and we're going to see how God in his sovereignty chose to partner with Zechariah and Elizabeth to bring John the Baptist into the world that was the forerunner preparing the way 
as prophesied, right? So this is all part of the Advent for Jesus to come and to do his redeeming work for humanity. So let's dive into the scripture. Turn with me to Luke 1, 5 through 25. So starting in verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Oh, friends, what a powerful testimony of when God fulfills his word, that he partners with those who are looking for him, and then he brings healing even as he's bringing redemption to those around them. God, there's a lot that we could take from this, but here are just a few observations we're going to take with us today. Um, one of the things that's crucial to know is that in Zechariah and Elizabeth's time in history, it was about a 400-year period where the Jews believed that God had not spoken since the last book of the Old Testament was written, the book of Micah. And so there, there, there hasn't been an active word from God. So you can see why, why he's just been going through the motions. He's of old age, advanced in years, right? All of his hopes of achieving anything on this earth are done. And then all of a sudden he hits the high point of his career where it's probably the first time he's ever been in there according to the, the traditions of things and um, the light casting. And an angel shows up and scares him, right? I'm just glad he didn't have a heart attack because we still needed John to go prepare the way for Jesus, right? And so, um, um, and uh, they were. And so, another observation for us to know is that Scripture says that they were both blameless in God's sight, and so they had done everything right even though there had not been an active word from the Holy Spirit through the prophets for 400 years. 
So what this tells us about Zechariah and Elizabeth is that they were faithful to what had already been shown to them. And Ian says that they were blameless. Now, the younger you are, the easier it is to be blameless because there's less time accrued. But this says they were advanced in years. And do you know that priests, they do not have a retirement age. So I don't know how long, but they had been faithful and walking blameless, keeping God's statutes and commandments, living righteously for a really long time, their whole lives. And, and the reason it says that they were blameless is Psalm 127 gives a promise that children are a reward from the Lord. And here they are, walking blameless, and yet they still have no children. Can you imagine how they felt about this? We're serving you, God, wholeheartedly. We're blameless and righteous in our sight. And you, you made a promise to reward us, and we, and we still don't have it, right? But they still were faithful anyway. And now, Zechariah's priests had prayed consistently, as the Scripture alludes to, and not only for the fulfillment of Psalm 127 in his and Elizabeth's life, that they would have the joy of having a child, but he was also praying for the promised, as Pastor Ron preached about last week, the promised Messiah that was prophesied over and over. And here we go, guys. You get ready. Are you ready to be encouraged in your walk with the Lord in this Advent season? As we approach Christmas, we think of gifts, right? And yes, we should think of Jesus, the perfect gift from whom all other gifts flow, right? But as we think about gifts, um, um, yeah, sorry guys, I just got overwhelmed. <laughs> uh, and so the world's definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. You hear that? Okay, it applies sometimes, but I want to tell you what God's definition of that statement is. God says that this is the definition of faithfulness when done in expectation of His promises. And so when you have a promise from God, when you read His Word and He says that this is His will for your life, please don't give up. Please do the same thing over and over again like Zechariah and Elizabeth because not only will God answer your prayer, but He will use you in His process of redemption. So here's the takeaway point here. God's delay in answering the prayer for a child for uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth while they were young was because He wanted to use the child not only to bring joy, joy and gladness to them personally, but to move forward His plan of redemption and bringing Christ to the world for all people. And so when you're suffering something or a delayed promise, be encouraged that God is working out something even greater than you know. Okay, Second uh, Peter three through nine says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So as we're praying for those personal promises for for our joy and gladness, we also have to be praying for the, the big promises too, that God wants all people to come to the saving knowledge and faith and repentance in Jesus Christ, that they would be with Him forever. So we must do two things at the same time. Now, I want to talk shortly about why did God choose Zechariah and Elizabeth? Well, the short answer is it was His sovereign choice, right? Um, and so with that being said, these are just some observations because the Bible said that they were righteous and blameless before Him. So that means we can learn something here. 
And so um, here's some observations that we can glean from if we want to be used by God in his plan of redemption. Okay, number one, be faithful to God and obey him in the circumstances you find yourself born into, like Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were of the Levites of Aaron, and so they were the priestly tribe. And even though for 400 years there hadn't been a new word from, from the Lord, they still fulfilled their duty by faith. Okay, now, um, number two, if you're married, like Zechariah and Elizabeth were married to each other, love your spouse in their, quote, barrenness and reproach. Whatever they have that they're still seeking God for, whatever brings them shame, an unfulfilled promise, or that makes them look bad, whatever it is, you stand by them and fulfill your marital covenant because Christ stands by his church when they're hurting. And so, husbands and wives, that's something we can learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth's reproach actually became Zechariah's because he didn't move on from her. He took it on and waited for God to fulfill that promise. So stay with your spouse and love your spouse through it. Okay. Uh, number two, make yourself available to serve him when your, quote, lot comes up. He was there for two weeks during his appointed time, but there were lots that were drawn, and it was his turn to serve. So for us today, this can mean stay in fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ while you're waiting for the promise, the personal promises and the promise of redemption to come to those around you. Stay in fellowship so you know what the needs are. And when God pulls your lot, you're ready. You, you hear me? Okay. And so one of the questions I want us to ask that's very personal is the scripture says that they serve God faithfully, but she was barren. And so for us, what is the but that keeps you up at night as barrenness did for Elizabeth, as you've walked blamelessly, as you're trying to follow Jesus, assuming that you are, there's probably a legitimate but that God has not fulfilled yet, okay? Um, this but even can be a cause for shame among others, but the truth is <laughs> God uses buts to fulfill his big picture prophetic fulfillment and bringing Christ to those around us. Your butt could be that you don't have children and you're married, so the circumstances seem right. Your butt could be, but God, I'm single. When are you going to bring my husband? When are you going to bring my wife? Your butt could be, I haven't gone to Bible school. I'm not able to preach or make disciples. I don't have the proper education. Your butt could be, but God, I have children I didn't ask for through whatever circumstances that, I, that, I, that were just handed to me. Um, I can't serve you, God. But the truth is, God has a plan and uses the intimate details and buts in our lives to bring about his plan of redemption to those around us. God trans here you go. God transforms buts into blessings that overflow onto those around us. God transforms buts into blessings, okay? Now, regarding the angel telling Zechariah, the child will bring you joy and gladness. Here's something you can take home as well today. If you're watching this at home, you can just keep it there. <laughs> what was your duty? What was your duty like Zechariah and Elizabeth going through the motions, right? Serving God. What was your duty will become your delight and will cause others to rejoice in God. What is your duty will become your delight if you're faithful with it. Just hang in there. Now God took away Elizabeth's reproach, giving her joy for sadness as he moved forward his plan through her of bringing redemption to the world. And so he 
when he partners with us by his sovereign choice and as we do our best to make ourselves consecrated, right, that he would want to work with us to bring his majesty through our lives um, as we display Christ, and we can expect him to also bring his healing as he partners with us. Okay, now guys, number three, the majestic manger. The majesty came at a time that was unexpected, and he will come back in the same way. I'll say it one more time. The majestic manger, the majesty, meaning Jesus, God incarnate, came at a time that was unexpected, and he will come back the second advent the same way. The majesty, Jesus, came at night in a stable equivalent to a gas station today on the side of the road beside, beside a motel, and he rested in a manger, which is a feeding trough. Not what people were expecting for a majestic God who's going to save his people from oppression to come into. So the question is, have you recognized the majesty of Christ this Christmas? That's God's biggest gift to you. That he will open your eyes to see this babe that was born of a virgin as God's fulfillment from the very beginning when things started to fall apart because of sin. Sent for you to be the Lamb of God that his blood would be shed on the cross for you and for me. Do you see his majesty that he would step down in humility and in love to do that for us? Have you made room for him in your heart and in your life? There was no room for him in the manger, the scripture said, excuse me, there was no room for him in the inn. They tried to go to the inn, right? But for whatever reason, we don't know. Maybe it's because uh, of their situation. Maybe it's because the census was happening, which the scripture says. So maybe it was just legitimately full. But I'm telling you, if we recognize Jesus as he is, if God opens our eyes and we see him, we won't only just give him a room and do whatever's necessary and not only say, okay, you can sleep in the lobby here, guys. We'll give him the keys to the end. We'll hand over our businesses. We'll hand over our relationships. We'll hand over every area of our life that we haven't seen his majesty at work in. So guys, I pray that this Christmas that you give him the gift of your heart as he displays the gift of his majesty to you. When we recognize the majesty of God, we will overflow with worship. Yes. And so we're going to read Luke 1, 46 through 56. Some of you guys know this as the Magnificat, Mary's song of praise. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty, and we could say majestic, has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, including today, people. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, meaning Elizabeth, about three months, and then she returned home. She was reveling 
in this unmerited favor that this majestic God would in mercy step down and bestow his love to her, most likely a teenage girl that had done nothing except say, here I am, God, have your way. With you, all things are possible. I trust you. Wow, that's amazing. And then the last point today, which we've covered a little bit of it, but is the majesty, the majestic baby born in the major was born to die. For you and I, the majesty was born to die. He didn't come to set up his physical kingdom. He came expressly to live the perfect righteous life that only God himself could live and then to give his life in atonement and sacrifice as the perfect sacrifice for you and me so that we would not have to die and be eternally separated from him. We must remember that because of his great love for a lost, weary, and hell-bound world, he humbly came as a baby for the express purpose of dying the death of a sinner, though he himself was the majestic God incarnate, perfect and holy. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 sums up the gospel, the good news of the majesty humbling himself for you and I. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, nobody's too far gone, people, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This blows my mind, the definition of majestic, the swelling up, right, of his greatness. There's more. Not only can we experience joy and gladness, his mercy, his grace, his love here and now, but in the ages to come, because he's lifted us up to where he is, there's more. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Merry Christmas, people. <laughs> not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the majesty humbles himself so that we could be saved and by faith and repentance receive the very Spirit of God in us. And then we can walk in the works to bring his redemption to those around us as were his hands and his feet empowered by his Spirit. But the unfortunate thing is because of sinful pride of the human heart, the world has despised the majesty of the cross. And so God, we pray that this Christmas that you would give the gift of the gospel that is unmerited favor for all of those who will see the majesty in the humility as love for them and that they would repent and receive eternal life and begin to walk with you by the power of your spirit each and every day, the rest of this year, all of next year, and all of their days until you call them home or you return. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, friends, we sure do love you, but hopefully it's obvious that God loves you more. Happy New Year, too.